When I was a kid on the playground, there was a particular skill that I learned that you had to have to survive on the playground. I'm curious if you still, if kids today still have to be able to do this. Uh, it, it was the ability to call it. You had to call things. You know, if you're going to do kickball and you want to be first, you had to call it. I call first, and I, got, I call second, and you know, if you called it, well then it was yours because you called it. Or if you're going to play tag and you tag someone and then they lunge to tag you back, you have to call it really fast. I call no tag backs. And then it's like, oh, why did you tag him? I called no tag backs. I mean, what am I going to do? I'm like, my hands are tied. Or, or if you're playing tetherball, you know, you've got you to gotta call the rules before you play. You, you have to call, can you do catchies or do you call no catchies? You know, do you, do you call ropes or no ropes? I mean, you know, what are the rules? And, and there's this power that kids have where they just call things. And, well, that's how it is. Uh, one of the important ones you have to know how to do on the playground is to call timeout, especially if you see the other team about to score or to do something good on the field. You know, you fake an injury, you know, like, you know, European soccer or something. You're like, ah, and then I call timeout. I'm like, ah, oh, that score didn't count. He called timeout. I mean, that, that's it. What are we going to do? But the most important one of all, I think this is the granddaddy of all the calls, all right? This is the one that if you can pull this off, this is the big one. It's the do-over, if you can call do-over and get away with it, because sometimes you can't, because there has to be a certain logic. People have to kind of agree to it. But if you can call the do-over, I mean, what's better than that? It's basically like you get to rewrite reality. You know, whatever happened up to that point, it's like, well, sorry, that didn't really actually happen. It's like a metaphysical superpower to be able to just rewrite history and do it all over again. I love the do-over. I wish as an adult I could call the do-over. It would be great. There's so many situations that would be great, wouldn't it, if you could just call the do-over. You're at the office party and you say something really stupid and uh, it was all good until you open your mouth and then it's like awkward silence and then, you know, wouldn't it be great if you could just say, ah, listen, everyone, I do-over, I call it. And everyone would go, ah, okay, well, let's back that up and see if you can do that without sounding like a jerk. Okay, I'll try it again. Or if you're on a date and you put your foot in your mouth and you realize at that moment the dinner's still going but the date is over. You know, if, if you could just say, do over, and your, your date would be like, okay, okay. I'll pretend you're not adult and we'll just try this one more time. This would be great for husbands to have, actually, um, you know, with our wives. If, if, you know, maybe for Christmas you could get us like a do-over card and um, that could be our present. And then when, you know, there's a question and we don't give the right answer, we're not quite sure what we're supposed to say, and then we say something dumb, you know, and then we just pull it out. We're like, do over, and then, you know, you could stamp it, and then we get, like, a certain number of stamps or something. That would be a great Christmas. I should market that. That would, that would sell. There's so many things in life we wish we could do over. Sometimes you get to be a senior in high school, and you wish you could do it over and have done a different sport or a different teacher, or maybe you get to college and you wish you'd done a different major, but now it's senior year and oh well. Or, or maybe, you know, you have a different, you just wish you have a different career. You're like 30s, 40s, and you look back and you say, man, if I could do it over again, I would have done this, and I would have studied that. And, you know, I really, I realize now, ah, but now it stinks. I'm, you know, 40 or 50, and my life is in a certain direction, and I have so much inertia going in a certain way, and there's no way I could change now. I was uh, reading an article um, it was interesting. It, it was an article written by a palliative care nurse. So it's a nurse who gives um, care, sort of comfort care to people who are extremely ill, typically people who are dying, and just helping them be comfortable and deal with the symptoms of their illness. 
rather than treating the illness itself. But anyway, she had this little experiment where she began asking patients who were dying if they could go back and redo their lives, what would they do over? And she collected those responses, and this is not really a scientific study, but just an interesting article. And she gave her most common responses, the things people most often said. People said things at the top of the list were things like, I wish I had pursued my dreams and aspirations over the years. How about this one? Probably not surprising here. I worked too much and never made time for my family. I should have made more time for my friends was another one at the top of the list. I should have said I love you a lot more. Here's another one that's kind of interesting. I should have spoken my mind more and not held back and went on feeling resentful toward people. Or I should have been a bigger person and resolved the conflicts in my life. What I find interesting about that list, kind of resonates with me, I don't know if it does with you, but what I find interesting is that besides the first one, never pursued dreams and aspirations, all the rest of them have to do with do-overs in relationships. Isn't that interesting? When people think about what they would redo in their life, it typically has to do with the relationships in our lives. In other words, you know, at the top of the list isn't like, oh, if I could do it over again, I would make like twice as much money. If I could do it over again, I would have, you know, I would have not had a 25-foot boat. I would have had a 30-foot boat. You know, that, I regret that so much. Or, you know, I would have worked a little harder and gotten from vice president to president. Or I would have written another book. Or I would have been more famous. Or whatever it is. Those aren't usually the things people regret. It's, it's family and relationships and broken relationships. And, and you realize that that's what's important. And we always say that, but somehow we, we forget that. And maybe at the end of life we realize that even more, perhaps, that resonates with me. I mean, don't you, can't you think of things you wish you would have said, you know, to your parents? Or, or if you're a, a parent, things you wish you wouldn't have said to your kids or done. If you could rewind the tape and do that scene over, and you regret that, and, and so life goes on. Or, or we wish we could redo things in marriages or friendships. Well, there is a relationship that all of us have where we all need a do-over. It's a relationship that every single person in this room, including myself, every single person in this room, desperately is in need of a redo. And that is our relationship with God. It's the relationship we have or don't have with our Creator. God made us for Him. You know, why did God make people? Why, why are we here on earth? Well, he, we made us. Our primary central purpose of for being human beings, is to know God and love God and be in a relationship with God and honor God and, and live a life that God would have us live. And yet something has broken that. This morning, or this morning, I'm not used to preaching at night, this evening, uh, I want to look at the other Christmas story. We usually look at the one from Luke, uh, which is about, you know, the shepherds and the manger and all that. But this is the, the other Christmas story. We don't look at that one as much. But but it's from the Gospel of Matthew. And I'd invite you, if you wouldn't mind, just take out a Bible. There's one in the pew rack in front of you. Just so you can read it for yourself. See this story for yourself. It's Matthew chapter 1. If you're using one of those pew Bibles, you can find it on page 955. Christmas is the story of a redo sent from God. Christmas is God's do-over for us. Look at Matthew chapter 1, page 955, and if you look at verse 18, where it says the birth of Christ right above it, 
This is the other Christmas story, or I should say the same Christmas story, told from the other angle, from Joseph's perspective. Look at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So here's Joseph and Mary. They're engaged. They're betrothed. Suddenly Mary is pregnant. Joseph knows he's not the father. And so he, he says, wow, this isn't the woman I thought she was. This, this is bad. And so he wants a do-over. And he wants to, to divorce her and then do over and have another shot at another relationship with someone without this scandal attached to it. Now, in those days, to be betrothed or to be engaged was more in, intense than what we have today when we're engaged. And in those days, when you were betrothed, you were essentially married. And so to break off an engagement, you had to do more than just give someone back a ring. You had to actually get divorced. So, so that's where Joseph was at. He's like, I want to do over on this one. But he's a good guy. He doesn't want to make a big scandal. He doesn't want to humiliate Mary. So he's going to try to do it quietly, kind of on the DL, and and just be done with it. But that's when God breaks into the scene. Verse 20, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This This isn't an unfaithful woman. This is a favored woman. God has chosen her for a special task. It's something miraculous that's never happened before has happened. God is doing something totally new. This is a do-over. This isn't just the same old thing as usual. This is new. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus uh, comes from the Hebrew word to save, which is yasha. So the Hebrew word is Yasha, and the name of Jesus is Yeshua. That's his Hebrew name. So, so there's just a nice little wordplay there. You know, you shall name him Yeshua because he shall, he shall Yasha his people from their sins. He's, that's what Jesus means. It just means Savior. Same name we use in English, we call him Joshua. That's that, that same word. Jesus, Joshua is the same name. Even though we have two different names, it's the same thing. It just means Savior, or the Lord saves and so Jesus has this mission. He's to save us. He, he, he is the do-over. He's the second chance that we have. And notice he says he'll save his people from their sins. See, the thing that has ruptured our relationship with God, the, the things that's broken it down that makes us in need of a do-over is this thing the Bible calls sin. It's not a word we use a lot. We tend to use words like, well, I'm not perfect, and eh, you know, I'm, I make mistakes, and well, it was a poor judgment call. But the Bible has a word for it, which is sin, which, which means a, a broken relationship with God. Um, you know, for instance, like you think of the Ten Commandments. Start going down the Ten Commandments, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm not so bad. Yeah, I'm not perfect, but I'm so bad. But then you go down the Ten Commandments, and it's like, oh, yeah, don't lie. Have I ever lied? Eh, yeah. Uh, don't covet, you know, is another one of the Ten Commandments. Don't, don't look at someone else's wife or life or husband or possessions or job or boat or whatever and covet that. And it's like, have I ever coveted? Hmm, yeah. You know, well, at least I've never murdered anybody. But then Jesus says, well, if you hate somebody and you want to do them harm in your heart, that's the same thing from God's perspective. And I go, oh, yeah, yeah, I do that often while I'm driving. Yeah, hmm, haven't, you know, or, or, you know, the first, you know, the first commandment, have no other gods before me. But having a God before God is, is just 
making something else the ultimate reality and purpose instead of God. And we do that all the time with all kinds of things. And so I start going down the list, and when I really think about the list, the Ten Commandments, I start thinking, you know, I, I think my score is something like 0 for 10 uh, on the Ten Commandments. But then I realize it's even deeper than that, that sin is not just doing some bad things. It, it's a fundamental heart posture that says, I want to do it my way. I want to do it for me. I'm in charge. I'm God. Instead of doing it his way and serving him and his will be done, it's my will be done. And instead of loving God above all else, I love myself and my pleasure and my, my uh, pride and my ego above all else. And so I see that, yeah, there's a broken relationship between me and my creator. But Jesus is the do-over sent from God. Isn't that amazing? Jesus comes, God does a do-over, but it's not the kind of do-over that Joseph was going to do with Mary. It's not that kind of do-over. Like, oh, wow, that's what you guys are going to be like toward me? Oh, fine, you're done. I'm divorcing you. That's not how God did a do-over with us. He could have. It would have made sense, actually. But he didn't. Instead, when God sent his do-over for our relationship with him, rather than just you know, hitting Control-Alt-Delete and erasing us, God, God sent Jesus to die for us and to become like us and to identify with us. And Jesus was born into the manger, but from the very first day in the manger, there was always looming over it the shadow of the cross because Jesus came to die for us, not just to save us, but to save us by dying for us. See, on the cross, when Jesus was there, he was taking the punishment for our sins. On the cross, it's as if Jesus was being divorced for us. He was taking the separation between us and God that we deserved. Like when Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because he was taking our rejection. We should have been the ones being put away, but God put him away instead in our place. So this is the amazing gift from God that he would send his own son to save us so that we could have a new relationship with God. And, and, and we need to really consider it. Unfortunately, when it comes to God, you know, we, we think it's kind of superficial. We sort of say, well, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm not perfect. You're right. Okay, yeah, maybe I've broken more of the commandments than I thought. But you know what? Fortunately, New Year's is coming. And I'll make some resolutions. I resolve to be kinder in traffic. I'm actually going to wave at someone once a week in traffic. And I resolve. You know, we start saying, I'm going to make myself better. And, you know, no, 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 you don't understand. If, if we could fix our relationship with God that way, Jesus would never have to come. He had to come because it was such a dire situation. So that the only recourse was to send his son. This isn't something we can just kind of fix easily. This is something God has to do. Several years ago, my, uh, my sister-in-law uh, got some really scary news. She had uh, taken her little son, little toddler, into the doctor. He'd had some stomach pains. And they, uh, they took him in. The doctor was checking him out. And she noticed some little bruises on his legs and spots and things. And so she ordered a blood test. And she came back to my sister-in-law and said, you know, I've got some really bad news. I'm afraid your son may have uh, leukemia. You know, that's why there's the spots and things and the platelets aren't working and and she said, this is really serious. And she said to him, said to, said to my sister-in-law, you need to take your son right now, and they live in Hampshire, 
and drive right now to Children's Hospital. Not like, well, maybe in a week, set up an appointment. He was like, you go now. So she was like, okay. So she went home, got a bottle for the baby, because she had a baby too, and then they just bombed down to Children's Hospital. And uh, praise God, uh, the treatments worked, and he was uh, cured of his leukemia now, like uh, kids sometimes are these days. It's, it's a pretty amazing process. But you know, when the doctor says to you, get in the car and drive to Children's Hospital now, you do that because it's life and death. This is not like when the doctor says, ah, you could probably stand to lose about 10 pounds. And you go like, okay. You go home. What did the doctor say? He said I could lose 10 pounds probably. And, well, maybe I'll start after the new year, you know. It's not like that. It's not that kind of doctor advice. This is like extreme situation. And might I suggest that, that for God to have to send his son and name him Savior... That's not like, hey, you guys should lose a few pounds, make a few resolutions, you know, try to be a little nicer. This is like, you're going to die, and you need Jesus. You need the Savior. That's how bad it is that God has to go to extreme measures for us. But this is the good news, that there's a do-over with God. There's so many things in life there aren't a do-over with. There's so many things in life we, we do and we regret them and we live with the consequences and we eventually come to the place of saying, hey, it is what it is. I'm, I, it's my fault, but it is what it is. I'm moving on. But when it comes to our relationship with God, it doesn't have to be it is what it is. God has made a chance for a new start, a second chance, a second birth, that there is a new life with God. But it's not through self-improvement it's through Christ. God's do-over is not a plan or a program. It's a person. It's a person named Jesus. I don't know where you're at today, but um, Christ's arms are open. They're stretched out. Even as they were on the cross, they stretched out still, ready to embrace anybody, regardless of what your junk is and what your mess is and what your skeletons in the closet are. He forgives because God came to save his people from their sins. Let me pray. Let me lead us in prayer. Oh, Lord Jesus, we do come tonight to worship you, the Savior sent from the Father. Oh, we thank you that when there was nothing else we could do, your love lifted us, your love saved us. And Lord Jesus, I pray that each of us would, would see this second chance, this do-over from heaven, and that, Lord, we would lay hold of it. Oh, God, I pray that you disabuse us of ideas that we could somehow make ourselves good enough. Lord, help us just to lay hold of the Savior. God, I pray for anyone here tonight who is uh, full of regrets, full of, full of um, sorrow and, and wishes, and I wish I could have. Lord, thank you that, that that awareness is there, and I pray that they would lay hold of, of your second chance in Christ. Lord, I pray for those tonight who are discouraged, depressed, lonely, empty. Oh, Lord, I pray that they would come to Christ and they would find the fullness of life in him. Lord, I pray for those of us here who think we really don't need God. 
we've got the money, we've got whatever, we've got success, we've got it all figured out. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would send a wake-up call before we lay on a deathbed wondering what I did wrong. Oh, God, would you wake us up and help us to see that the things of this world are vapid without Christ. Oh, Lord, may we lay hold of him. Draw us all from all of our different places and walks of life. Draw us again to the manger. Draw us to the cross. Draw us to the empty tomb. And fill our hearts up with Christ, we pray in his name. Amen.